0: Hello and welcome to History Podcast with me, Jack Pettit, and our resident historian, Paul Fletcher. This is our 10th episode, double figures already, of our Cold War Origin series. Today, we're going to be trying to answer the question, why was the Hungarian uprising so important in the development of the Cold War? We're nearing the end of our series, approaching the end, so hopefully this is a useful flashpoint. Fletch. Jack. Ten episodes. Who can believe it? Double figures. Double figures. Okay, let's let's go back and try and contextualise uh, what's going on in Hungary, uh, Eastern Europe, between uh, 1945, end of the war, and of course when the uprising begins in 1956.
1: Okay. So during World War II, Hungary fought on the side of Nazi Germany. And so we talked in earlier podcasts about... Um, How Stalin wanted to ensure that the uh, countries of Eastern Europe are going to be friendly towards the Soviet Union. And this was clearly a country that had not been friendly to the Soviet Union during World War II. So uh, what happened to Hungary after the war was very much that it was brought within the Soviet sphere of influence um, and fully controlled by. The Soviet Union by certainly 1947 there was a communist government in control um, all political opponents have been suppressed eventually the head of the catholic church would be arrested there was a feared secret police the AVH um, and of course like uh, all the other eastern european countries uh, they were included within common form in 47 comic-con in 49 and then in 55 within the Warsaw Pact. So the leadership of Hungary of Hungary was very hard line. Um, you know, it was not a great place to live. There was industrialization, there was collectivization. Standard of living were dropping. By 1952, I think it was, Hungary recorded its lowest ever um, agricultural produce figures. Uh, so there was a lot for people to be very unhappy about. Um, both in terms of their standard of living, in terms of political freedom, and of course the fact that the Hungarians just didn't like the fact. You know, a, a, a country with a very proud history uh, had been part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. You know, they just didn't like the fact that they had these foreigners, the Russians controlling them as well.
0: So you talk about people being unhappy um, and and the hardline communist ruler was, was a follower of Stalin, nicknamed yeah. Bald Butcher, I think he was. Right. Um, and what, what do we have? We have you know over 200,000 people put in prison uh, people un
1: yeah i think something like about 2,000 people were killed killed
0: yeah absolutely
1: so it's in that situation therefore that you would not probably expected there to have been any sort of uprising or protest or maybe you would but certainly um, you know i think in 1955 you would not have expected Hungary to be the uh, the, the to want to uh, go completely for broke and uh, tried to throw off Russian control. So, what we have to understand is you can't understand the situation within Hungary unless you understand the situation within the Soviet leadership. So, of course, Stalin had died by 53. There then followed a period of um, a power struggle within the Soviet leadership, and by 56, you had Khrushchev who was in control. Khrushchev then did something quite extraordinary. Um, in February 1956, he made a secret speech um, in which he sort of committed uh, the Soviet Union to a sort of new pathway um, and also um, talked about the mistakes and the failures of Stalin's regime. Um, this, is, this speech was known as a de-Stalinization. Um, it was made It was made in secret to the other Soviet leaders. But fairly soon, details of this actually sort of got out both within the West and within uh, Eastern Europe as well. And what you then got was you then got people thinking in Eastern Europe, hey, do you know what? We've got a new guy in there who's committed to change, who's committed to reform. Actually, let's go for it. And the first country to do this was Poland. In 1956, and there was massive protests within Poland, and Khrushchev at first had a complete utter wobbly. He was gonna send the tanks and everything else. Flew over to Warsaw, was gonna lay down the law, but when he turned up in Warsaw, he saw that the poles had installed a new reforming leader uh, called Gomulka. and he basically said, Okay, right, I'll let you stay if you actually. Keep things reasonably quiet, and so Poland began to embark upon a period of reform, and that is the sort of background, the link to what then happened in Hungary, because the Hungarians saw the very same thing, and they thought, "Hey, this is possible for us as well."
0: So there is a there is no uh, there is a coincidence then with the secret speech in fifty six February, and of course what we now know is the Hungarian uprising. Yes. In October of the same year.
1: Yes. And also an indirect link in the sense of you've got the secret speech, you've got the events in Poland, and then the events in Poland therefore encourage Hungarians to think that change will be possible as well. So what happens? Well, essentially, there are various changes in leadership in the summer of 1956. Um, And we will be mistaken to think that those changes in leadership within Hungary are actually being decided upon by the Hungarians themselves. They're actually being decided upon by... Um, the Soviet leadership, particularly by Khrushchev. So, uh, Rakhazi, the bull butcher you mentioned before, he gets pulled out and told he's got to declare himself to be ill. And then, uh, Negi, who is a bit of reformer, is brought in and he's thrown out. And uh, uh, one of uh, the lieutenants, the number twos of um, Rakhazi, the uh, Giro, he's brought in. Um, but clearly, the popular mood. Is one for reform and they're demanding change and so 23rd of October 1956 there are a wave of popular demonstrations led by students and the cause for that has been that Giro who's the new hardline leader um, has reburied some of the uh, victims of previous purges Carried out before 1956 and this triggers a whole wave of protest against communist rule let us say by these students in Budapest in Budapest now the initial reaction from Khrushchev Was to send in well send in the tanks in the sense of the Red Army's there But to send the tanks and troops into Budapest there is some fighting there is a there, there, there is some resistance by the Hungarians and What Khrushchev, how Khrushchev reacted was very much in the same way as he reacted in Poland when faced with real sort of protest (coughs) in a way in which Stalin would never have done, he sort of backed down and therefore he agreed to the reinstalling of this reform in Nagy to be the leader of Hungary, but with a clear understanding that he had to bring calm back
0: of course, Nagy's got different things on his mind.
1: Well, I think, you know, Gomulka did it in Poland. He did the reforms, but accepted that he could only go so far. And so therefore the same could have happened within Hungary. So yes, Nagy announces that he's going to reform the situation in Hungary is going to have free speech. And, you know, the, the leader of the church is released and, um, and you know, sort of uh, greater economic freedoms for people to work within. That's fine. But the problem is, what causes the problem is that on the 3rd of November, Nagy announced that he was going to withdraw uh, Hungary from the Warsaw Pact, which of course we referred to in a previous podcast. That's the military alliance around which the Soviet uh, bloc is, is based. That was... The step too far, the bridge too far, as far as Khrushchev and the Soviet leadership was concerned. And so what they did was, therefore, having actually physically withdrawn the Red Army from Hungary, they now sent the Red Army back in. Um, I think it's like 6,000 tanks are sent in. And then they, therefore, then set about then crushing this reform government. Yeah. And, well, you see, is this an uprising? It's a reformed government. But of course, it's met then with military resistance. The Hungarians try to fight it out. Because what the Hungarians think is going to happen is they think, because there's been various noises made by the Americans, they think the Americans are going to come to their aid, which, of course, they don't. So you get about a week's worth of fighting... Um, something like 20,000 Hungarians die, 7,000 so, uh, soldiers from the Red Army. Um, so, yeah, it takes about a week before what the Soviets would see as the right sort of government is restored.
0: So it's quite bloody then. There's it lots is. Lots death.
1: Yeah, it, it is. About 200,000 Hungarians flee. Um, you know, they, they flee to Western Europe. Um, And by the 10th, 11th of November, you've officially got a pro-Soviet government back in charge, led by Kadar. And then fighting stops? No, people think that's the end of the uprising. But in actual fact, there's various forms of guerrilla resistance by the Hungarians. Certainly, we know, went on until mid-1957. So what happens
0: to, to Nagy?
1: Well, yeah, what happens to Negi, poor thingies, I mean, he actually goes to, I think it's the Yugoslav embassy and thinks that he's going to be safe in there. And uh, the new leader, Neg um, Karar, promises him safe passage um, and he comes out of the embassy a bit like a version of, um, oh, the guy from WikiLeaks. uh, Julian Assange, who, had, ah. who was in the Ecuadorian embassy for all that time. And, you know, because the idea is an embassy is supposed to be a safe space you can't get into.
0: So it's just a building in Budapest.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's hiding away in there. And uh, so on this, uh, this offer of safe passage, he comes out. And of course, when he comes out, he's grabbed by the secret police. And then he's, uh, then he's hung.
0: Right. So you mentioned earlier about the West, or the Hungarians thinking that the West would come to their aid. Do they? Or if they don't, why don't they?
1: Well, they don't come to their aid, no. Um, And, uh, you know, in some ways it's seen by many people as a quite immoral um, event, a situation. Um, The West itself um, had, had made a lot of noises that it would help the Hungarians. But the practical reality is, you know, how do you get to Hungary? I mean, in a way, it's like 1939 with Poland. It's all very well, the British and French declaring war on Germany about Poland in 1939. But how did they get aid to Poland in 1939? Well, the same situation. How did you actually get aid to Hungary in uh, 1956 without crossing into the Eastern Bloc? And then, of course, there was a danger then you'll have a direct conflict with the Soviet Union. Yeah. Of course, there were other reasons as to why the Americans in particular um, were, were not willing to get involved or not able to get involved because... Of course, there was the Suez crisis in 1956 going on in the Middle East, so that was taking away people's attention as well.
0: So we've got here then Hungarians hoping for help, and although America makes a noise and condemn it publicly, I think America do respond uh, through the public. I think there's a very famous TV personality that ends yeah. up donating or ends up yeah. getting lots of donations, but yeah.
1: militarily they do not get involved. No, that's right. And and you know if you look at, if you look at the impact of the Hungarian uprising on the Cold War, then in some ways it has a very negative impact upon the Cold War and the relations between the, the East and the West, because to many in the West. And that public collection you were mentioning there is a good example of this and how it impacted uh, uh, on uh, public opinion. So, to many people in the West, this is just complete proof of the expansionist, aggressive nature, as we talked about before, of the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union is a complete antithesis to democratic values that we hold in the West. You've got a group of people, they want to be free. What happens? The Soviet comes along sends our tanks in and crushes it. So that's not great for relation to the, the, two, the two sides. We mentioned in the previous podcast that in the 1950s there was an attempt to um, have better relations between the East and West, this thing called peaceful coexistence. Well, that was certainly one of the reasons why peaceful coexistence didn't work in the longer term. Because of course, while both sides recognized that there was the danger of nuclear weapons, You know, it's very, very difficult for any person, any leader in the West to then do a proper deal with other people or then oppressing another country. Mm. Okay. Also, as well, I think it's fair to say that it didn't have a, a good impact on international relations during the Cold War because... Because the West had failed to stand up for the Hungarians, and so therefore Khrushchev took out of this the lesson, the natural fact he could actually push the West around if he wanted to, and so I don't think it's any surprise that in 1958 he therefore gives an ultimatum to the West about the future of Berlin, and um, you know in the later summits which go on 59 into 61 his behaviour is much more aggressive towards the West and, and culminates in, of course, in his behaviour at the Berlin, um, at the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. OK, so I think you can see that he's learnt from that that the West is... He, he feels the West is a bit of a paper tiger and won't stand up to him when there's a really tough situation. Mm. However... Go on.
0: I was just about to say, so, I mean, we've got... You, you know, you're getting onto the idea of what, why is important for the Cold War. Yeah. What about... However, why was the upright, why was the events in Hungary so important for Khrushchev's control over Eastern Europe?
1: Well, that, of course, is, and, and, this, and this also links into one of the ideas about why, in actual fact, it wasn't necessarily a, uh, a disaster for uh, relations during the Cold War. So it was quite clear that this was going to settle, certainly for the foreseeable future, that the Soviet Union was in control of Eastern Europe and was not going to allow anybody to stray too far from limits that the Soviet Union set. So the point about Poland was that Gomułka realized that he could go so far and that was it. Okay, he could have some reforms and that was it. Hungary, however, had gone beyond that limitation and was trying to lose the Warsaw Pact. That was just not acceptable. Okay, so you have, therefore, the idea that the Soviet Union was going to be in control of Eastern Bloc and was going to stay in control of the Eastern Bloc. Okay, that basic idea would not be challenged for another 12 years until 1968 with the Prague Spring, where you would get another similar reaction from the Soviet Union, whereby protests, popular uprising was crushed by the by the Red Army. But if you look at it from the point of view of the Americans as well, the Americans by their behavior made it quite clear that they actually were not going to try to roll back communism. It goes back to that idea of containment. They were prepared to accept that the Soviet Union has gone as far as it had gone and that they would live with that. And so therefore we can actually see that from this situation, Actually, there's an acceptance on both sides that this is the status quo. This is what both sides were going to live with. And therefore, you just had to exist. Both sides had to exist within that status quo. Yeah. There is, however, one other thing which we now need to mention. And so far on our podcast, we've not actually mentioned this. And probably we'll get onto this in series two. But of course, there is a new kid on the block and that is Communist China, led by Mao Zedong. Been communist since 1949. Now, Mao was prepared to accept and tolerate Russian leadership and Russian direction while Stalin was in charge. Because Stalin was the real deal. He was a hardcore communist. He'd put the U.S. in in and be part of the Soviet Revolution in 1917. However, when Stalin was replaced by Khrushchev, Mao wasn't quite so willing to accept his control, okay. And one of the reasons why Khrushchev actually decided to send the troops back in in early November was because he got basically Mao in his ear, complaining to him about the fact he wasn't being t- tough enough, and maybe he wasn't the right man to lead the communist world. And so, therefore, that is why Khrushchev did what he did. And so we can begin to see in the reaction to the Hungarian crisis of 1956 by the Soviet Union, we can begin to see the start of that disillusionment with Soviet leadership, which will become increasingly apparent with Mao and will eventually in the late late 1960s, lead to the Sino, that's Chinese, Soviet split, where the two countries actually end up at war. And that's an absolutely crucial turning point in the Cold War. And if we don't understand about that, we then can't understand why there's detente, for example, in the 1970s.
0: Wow, thank you, Fletch. No problem. Um, You know, real clear causes, events and consequences and then looking at the, uh, obviously, the importance of Hungary in the Cold War.
1: Join us next time for episode 11.